This is part two of a two-part conversation we had with Matt Walton. In this episode, we asked Matt about life before fantasy football and player evaluation, advice for getting into the fantasy industry, and social justice and racial reconciliation. We hope you enjoy this one and encourage you to give part one a listen as well. All right, so quickly, uh, because we don't want to keep Matt here all night, because that's what we do, uh, and we just still want to be respectful of his time and, We're and, good. and, and his life. Uh, but I thought we could do this. I thought this would be kind of fun. It'd be like town hall. We'll, we'll do this like town hall style, right, where you come up to the microphone, everybody stands in line, you got your question uh, for, for Matt. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. Chris actually put some of these questions up for us, and I thought these were pretty cool. So let's talk about some of these things. So, Matt, you can – you know, get as detailed as you want, or if there's some stuff where you're like, eh, I don't really want to go there. Totally up to you, obviously. All but right. what was your life like before you became a full-time football analyst and writer? Um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life was probably a good a good start with that. I worked in a call center as a director, um, and you know, for basically a call center that did a lot of um, work for. America Online, when America Online was still getting off the ground and everyone, you know, rushed to use it. And then they everyone wanted to cancel because the line was always busy on the modem. So uh, I was I was part of a group that they hired to teach them how to retain customers um, through all of that. Um, So I was doing that um, after I'd gotten out of school. Um, It was really a job that I had while I was in school that turned from a part time job doing telemarketing to full-time work doing telemarketing as a, as kind of a, as a supervisor and a, and a, and a, a manager of a branch. Um, and then that turned into, you know, inbound customer service work and, and I was doing some writing, um, a, at the time, but wasn't really anything I really wanted to do, like any type of, uh, journalism or anything like that. Cause I was studying music at one time, and when I realized that wasn't the path I wanted to take, um, I transferred to a school that I knew I could afford. I knew that I could um, work my way through and just kind of figure out what I wanted to do while I was getting a degree. Um, and that that job I had that I had no desire to have a career in, I ended up in a career. Um, and, and at some point I realized that, you know, I just was – you know, I was just kind of living life, I would just say. And and sometimes when you, sometimes there's a difference between living life and letting life live through you. And it was kind of like I was letting life live through me. And it, and I kind of woke up one day and realized that I had certain responsibilities. Um, but I, at the same time, I had to realize that maybe I needed to find something that was good for me, that I would be find some fulfillment doing that was just gratification personally for me. So I thought maybe I'd start writing again. Um, and so I did some of that and, um, you know, for the most part, I I would say I was fairly lost in my twenties, you you know? So it's funny now because I have kids who are in their mid to late twenties and it's been very helpful. I think for them, they would tell you that, that they had a parent who was lost and trying to figure out what he wanted to do so that when they came home and said, I don't know what I want to do in school here. I'm two and a half years in and I have a scholarship, but I'm not sure what's going on. And my wife's like, you finished the damn degree. 
and move forward. <laughs> That's <laughs> what's going I on. Understand that, I understand that <laughs> viewpoint completely, but then I'm like, yeah, but that might not work for this kid. Like, we kind of need to talk about that and, like, see. And now that kid's actually in Hawaii as a as a corporal in the Marines and flying drones and pretty darn happy. Um, so, you know, but at the same point, a lot of that was me just kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And part of it was I wanted to write for a living. And, and I started doing some, you know, I just started doing some writing and part of it was maybe I'd start a fantasy football site. Um, and then I realized that, and I had written some columns and I had, I was in fantasy league and a friend of mine who ended up becoming a, a, a coworker for many years. He, he and I were in that fantasy league together and he was like, I was trying to trade with you and we get in these football conversations and they're fun. Have you ever thought about doing any writing? And I'm like, well, actually I have like four or five articles that I've written already that I haven't published anywhere because I thought I'd make them for my own site, but that proved harder than I thought it would be. And here they are. And they were like on Brian Westbrook, Frank Gore, Brandon Lloyd, and Larry Fitzgerald. And, and I've written over 500 of those columns now since that point. Um, and that was for fantasy football. And then I got into the scouting thing because I love that angle of it. It was, you know, I love, I seem to have a thing for at least identifying some rookies and I didn't know why that was. And then I saw that would be kind of interesting to do. And, and so I got into, I just kind of converted the, the training I got as an operations manager and a quality director learning about best processes. And I, I started thinking, you know, made a database for this stuff and how to how to measure performance and this applies to a variety of different processes so and you and the more you do it the more you learn about the process so let me see if that'll work for fantasy football and really not fantasy football just skill players and focus on skill offensive skill players and that's what I ended up doing so it's like before all that I was uh, honestly it was I was kind of heartbroken that I wasn't doing music Wondered if I, I should do writing. Had someone tell me I had some, I had a Sports Illustrated writer kind of give me an opportunity and tell me everything I wanted to hear as a musician. And I wasn't in a place to hear that. I was in my early 20s. So I promptly quit that opportunity and um, was trying to figure it all out. And I just had to, you know, I, I was like some people. I came from an environment where I had to, um, in some areas, I learned how to be an adult a lot earlier than I should have. In some areas, I didn't learn enough about becoming an adult, and I had to learn how to become a man. And that took me a little bit longer in my 20s to do and probably into my early 30s. Um, so, it, you know, the time that I had in that environment, while I joke that it was a, the, the job I had was a way station for lost souls, I mean, it gave me time to get found. So that was kind of what that's, that was about. Wow, that's uh, that's quite the journey. And one of the things that I like the most about that was the point that you made about, um, you know, with your kids, because you had kind of gone through that, not quite knowing kind of what you wanted to do and feeling almost like a little bit lost that now when they're in that, you know, similar age, you know, range point in their life that you can relate and you can you can have those kinds of conversations with them about that feeling and, uh, you know, all three of us, Carrie, Chris, myself, we all have kids are younger than your kids. But um, my oldest is 13 and youngest is eight. But one of the things that I found that, you know, seems to really, you know, be engaging for them is when I show them 
and really kind of open up like, look, I don't have all the answers. I'll have this figured out. Right. I mean, there's so many times when you're a parent, you're presenting things as if, you know, right, you're the authority. And I think what really helps, especially now my son kind of entering that early teenage stage, is like, look, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we can try this. We can try that. Uh, you can handle, you know, you approach it this way, approach it that way. But I really can't tell you what's going to happen. I don't really know. Um, and, I, and I think that's something that has really kind of helped us kind of bond in a different way, as opposed to me just kind of, you know, pointing the finger. And it's like, all right, you need to do this. You need to do that. Look. I mean, you, you mentioned it with your wife. There, there are going to be times when that's just the way it has to be. But uh, I think there's also a lot of opportunity uh, for you to learn as a parent. Like, man, I can learn from what you know they're going through if I just listen to what they're yeah. telling me. And, and part of it, too, is, I mean, my wife is incredible because, I mean, she was someone who, you know, she worked three jobs while she was in North Carolina at, at North Carolina. She had turned down an um, opportunity to have a track scholarship at Florida State. She had turned down offers at at at, at Syracuse, um, and those are some pretty awesome track programs. Um, and she didn't want to do that. She always wanted to be like a marketing and advertising type of person. She wanted to work on Madison Avenue, and she ended up. She's actually like a, a director for one of the largest construction firms in the in the country doing um, sourcing, which is basically a level of you know if people aren't familiar with that. It's it's high level contract negotiation, face to face negotiation, and a lot of analytical work that borders on hedge fund type of analysis. So she's she's the brains of the family, and and she's someone who you know she she started because she dropped out of school to have a to to have a to have our daughter. I mean, she dropped out to have 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 Chandler, and and when we met, Chandler was 15. So it was like. You know, it was one of those situations that she's had to do a lot of the hard work on her own. Um, and, you know, for her, Chandler even told her, told her recruiter, you know, like, I know that I have this thing with my mom. I love my mom, but I, she doesn't want, try to make me live up to her, but I try to do that. And I put more pressure on myself than I should because I see what my mom did and I feel like I should be able to do that. And meanwhile, we're both kind of telling her, pump the brakes. You know, you don't have to do that. You, she had to, you don't have to. So, and part of that is, I mean, she, she, what's great is, yeah, when they're older, I love that 16 to 20, 16 to 30 range, because it's like, there's that time where you get to show them like, yeah, we're all human beings. And yeah, I know that like, we tell you not to put too much pressure on yourself, but now that the world's real, you're going to do that and you're going to, and there's a party that fears that your parents going to judge you and just say, you're a loser, you're a failure, you, I'm ashamed of you. Like you're fear, afraid of all that's going to happen. And when you can look at them and go, so you screwed up, we gave you advice, you went completely 180, you know, you completely went 180 in the opposite direction and now you're asking for help. So what are you going to do? And they're like, I'm thinking this. And you're like, okay, well, let's figure out how to solve the problem. And, and how are you going to do that? And what can you can learn from it? We all screw up. Yeah. Like, you, you know, it's like there's a level between enabling and and actually being like, you got to learn that lesson and you got to feel some of the pain. But I don't have to like I told you so on top of it. Like right. I can, you know, we're 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 going to teach you. We're going to help you learn some of those lessons and some of those things that you don't learn in school. And and as a result of that, we have someone who's seen us more as a peer 
and a colleague and in, in that level and getting that added dimension in addition to being a parent. And that's nice because my wife can't, I mean, like, it's funny because my, my wife literally is like, she won't leave me alone. Like I, you know, she calls all the time and is in touch. And, and when we first left for, when she first left for school, my wife thought we're not going to hear from her for months. And it's like, now she, you know, she's almost attached to the hip sometimes in the way how often they communicate, you know, and, but she has her own life and it's cool, but it's, it's scary for most parents because you think about things you don't really want to talk about with your daughter, you, you know, but some of those things that you don't want to talk about are the exact things you need to be talking about. So that um, so that they can have a healthy life and they make good choices, you know, and so that's that's been fascinating. Wow. Wow. So, Chris, Carrie, look, I don't want to monopolize all the questions here. Um, I don't know if you guys have any of these in front of you. If not, I can throw you one. But or ask whatever you want. Who cares about what's on the damn paper? You know, I don't. So <laughs> uh, you guys can 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 take a stab asking anything that you want. Um, you know, whoever wants to jump in. Or nobody jump in. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, you know, we've um, you know had plenty of conversations. Uh, you know, as far as how what we're trying to do with this pod and where we're trying to take it, and you know, we came to a consensus that um, you know there's a lot of people that are in into the fantasy football. You know, as a business that. Um, well, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not saying this correctly. There's a lot of people that are into fantasy football that look like us. But when you look at the people that are in it as a business, you don't really see that same representation. So, you know, this is, you know, something that's near and dear to my heart and something that, you know, I'm, I'm serious about, you know, pushing forward with. So, you know, just any, you know, maybe advice or any anything that you would would share with us as, as far as, you know, jumpstarting that, you know, part of our journey? That's a great question. And I think the first one that probably just needs to be stated, and it's more on folks who run sites, is that I would recommend that they get some level of diversity and inclusion training if they're running a business um, and start to understand some of the um, some of the dynamics that they may not be aware of, even as well-intentioned as they are, um, so that they can make great decisions and and be mindful of not just how to get out of their own way, but be find ways that where they can be more inclusive in their environment so that they're hiring great talent. Um, so I'm going to just put that out there right off the bat. Um, and so if there's anybody who's listening who is um, – who is a business owner, who is white, um, what I would recommend is just right off the bat is, you know, while it's all well and good that you may feel like, you know, you have a, you know, you have a, you feel like you have a, a empathy and understanding of the situations that are available. I would recommend that in addition to that, um, to, to get a little bit of diversity inclusion training, if it's just individually for yourself as a person who runs the show, I would also say being able to make um, reach out and be able to do joint projects with writers, uh, you know, and being able to, um, you know, in addition to hiring, also just getting to have a presence in the black community, I think is important. 
you know, and you can do that on so many levels. And I will get to the, the original question. I promise with that is just that, but to me, it's just like, you know, if you've got a show where you have podcasts, get more writers on a color who are, who you can get, have on podcasts. If you have guest writing opportunities, get guest writing opportunities. If you have, you know, you have shows do that so that you are getting to understand a little bit more, be a little bit more involved. And then you can start to have more conversations and get, and maybe be able to gain a little bit of better understanding overall of what the dynamics need to be and what you need to approach. Because if you're a, you know, if you're a site that's basically hired nothing but like white males, pretty much the entire time that you've been running your site, you know, I remember back in the day when I wrote about Teddy Bridgewater um, and how that, that basically he was getting a treatment that was racially biased and why he, and the, the response I got from that was um, obviously not positive from a lot of people was pretty negative from a lot of people in the public. And while the site I thought did a very good job that I worked with the football guys of how they approached that, um, you know, there's going to be, there are more, there were a lot more situations where I could have seen, if there was a, a black writer in our site who had decided I can't look in the mirror and write about football and not write about Colin Kaepernick. And this is the place where I need to write about it. I can't look in the mirror and write about and not write about Lamar Jackson and the bias that's there. Um, you know, in terms of how people see him and this is the site that you write for and they didn't, and they didn't handle it. Well, you, you know, that's unfortunate on them because they're missing a deeper element of, of understanding. And then on top of it, it's unfortunate for that writer because of the, how that writer may not be valued at the level that he should be for his opinion and his perspective. So that's the first thing I want to get out of the way. And then the second thing I'd say is just in general about the fantasy industry or getting in the football industry, it's a really weird time. You know, I'm a kind of a, I'm kind of a unicorn in this business because I have my own shop and do my own thing. And I can basically afford to pay one writer. (laughs) Um, So, and the rest of it is just kind of like my, my wife and I kind of running this thing. And I, you know, I do most of the writing. I do most of this, the social media, I do all the customer service. I do all the sales. Um, and that's where I'm at. And I'd like to hire more people. Um, you know, and what I find that happens is I end up getting into situations where people contact me and go, hey, Matt, I, I don't need to get paid, but I really like your work. I'd like to write with you. Um, I'd like to learn some of the things that you do. And I'd like the opportunity to be able to do that here. And I think that I could provide some value. And I'm like, sure, go ahead. So guys like Jay Moyer have been through like that. Eric Stoner has been through like that. David Ngono, who's a former safety for West Virginia, has done a lot of that work with me. Um, you know, Dwayne McFarland, who's now pro football focus, is the latest example of a guy like that. Um, but, you know, that's part of it is if you're new in this bit, when I started, it was like, fantasy football was still like a place for nerds in the basement. And this online thing was like, um, still kind of just getting off the ground to the peak popularity. So I caught the wave at the right time, but for people now that the competition's a lot more fierce. So unfortunately it means sometimes writing for sites and asking for opportunities where you're not going to get paid much, if anything, 
Um, but it's an opportunity for you to get your work into a portfolio of work. So choosing a site where you respect the work that people do um, and, and knowing that it fits for what you want to write about and maybe being able to use it as an opportunity to say it's almost like an internship. You know, will you give me pointers on what you think would be helpful with my writing in exchange for me doing regular content for you once a week or twice a month or three times, you know, things like that. And being able to build up a portfolio, because as much as people look at social media and say, well, that's where I get popular. Well, that's true. But Twitter's making all the money off of you. Facebook's making all the money off of you. YouTube's making all the money off of you, even if you're doing Patreon. And I'm not an expert on Patreon, but, you know, I remember asking my wife, should we do Patreon? And she goes, no, you're begging for money. Don't do that. And I'm like sitting there going, that's a smart thought. Like, because I'm sitting there thinking, she said, just sell the thing you do. Just do the thing you do and make sure that's the best thing you do. And everything else points towards that, funnels towards that. And that's, and, and I totally agree with that, obviously, because she's the one with the brains, like I said. So it's like that, and it's it's made sense. And and so when I see people who do Patreon, I get it. They do wonderful content, but it kind of comes across as begging. So like, to me, it's about getting a start with other people, understanding you got to pay your dues a little bit. Yes, there's going to be situations where people kind of use you or exploit your work to a degree, and that's the tough part that you kind of have to iron out. But getting a portfolio of work that shows to other people that you can link to that site and say, here's the 80 articles I wrote in the in the two years that I was there or the year and a half that I was there. Here's the, the 40 or 50 articles I wrote. Those people who want to hire go, that guy's reliable. He's willing to work on a team. He's willing to do the work every week. And um, – He's and I can see his work and there's some refinement to his writing. The analysis is good. And it's not just he's popular on Twitter because that doesn't show that you can work. It just means you can write pithy statements in a, you know, in a certain number of characters and post some funny get gifs somewhere, you know, which is, you know, that's part of it. That can be part of it, having a social media account. But it's not the meat, you know, that's the side dish, you know. So I I think that's the biggest thing that I would probably say. And I know that um, I probably didn't get Chris's attention. I know he's still with us, but I probably didn't get his attention because I didn't mention Ben Roethlisberger or James Conner. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now that I've got your attention, do you want to ask <laughs> anything while we still have him? Uh, I'm, I'm never going to live this down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had the Cleveland thing. You could have just kept beating up on me for that because I had been riding the Cleveland thing since the draft, and you just opened the door. Listen, man. I didn't want people to gang up on you, so I wanted to take some of the heat off. Oh, well, you know, hey, you know, I appreciate that, man. You're a thoughtful dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Matt, uh, something that that uh, that really stuck out to me that that you uh, you did uh, after the, the George Floyd uh, uh, whole you know fiasco that went down uh, was the podcast you did after that. And and I know um, right after I heard it. I hit Carrie and Mike up and I was like, you guys have to listen to it. And it was, it was like really powerful stuff, man. And, and you could just hear it in your voice. Cause I, I've been listening to you for years and following you for years, but the tone that you had in your voice, it was, it was something that, that really, you know, hit close to home for me. And, 
And, you know, that's something that, that you know, I want to thank you for, for just being so open and so honest about it and, and putting yourself out there. Because, like you said, not a lot of people in, in your industry have these same thoughts. And, and, you know, this doesn't evoke the same emotion for them as it did for you. So to just put that out there, it's like this this is a dude that 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 I can rock with because he's putting it out there on the line and he's coming from the heart, you know, and, and I just I wanted to big you up for that because I, I I really true. I respected you before that, but like it just took it to a whole nother level when you came out with that part. And, and I thank you for that. Well, I I really uh, let me thank you because it it just feels shitty that I even have to s- say you're welcome or you have to say thank you to me for that. You know, um, it's it's a tough thing. I um I've wanted to say something like that for twelve years, um, and I I've written I've written and erased more things in the past 12 years uh, <laughs> than I've shared. And I've shared a lot in, you know, ranging from when it's football related from Bridgewater to Kaepernick well before the Anthem. Um, and it's, I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's tough because this is my life. Um, I don't like sharing my life to a degree because I'm protective. I'm very protective of my family. Um, so I've very rarely shown things on certain social media with my family because I just don't know who I'm going to meet. Like I've literally, we've walked into places and I've had, you know, college students just staring at my wife and I after a podcast and, My first thought is, am I going to jail today? And and I know that sounds dramatic to some people, but I don't think it sounds dramatic to you guys Um, is I, you know, my wife, I've talked to my wife and she's like, you know, we've had these conversations. I say I walk behind my family. There's a reason why I walk slow and walk behind my family, because I like to see what's going on in front of me. And it's easier to handle things that's going on in front of me than if I happen to be ahead. I don't, I'd rather, you know, I feel that way where we sit in a restaurant. This is, I want to see the reaction of the, of the hostess and the waiter's face when they point where the table's going to be at and we're going to be sitting so that I can excuse myself and go talk to the manager and say, I don't know who this person is. That's going to about to wait on us, but I saw their, I saw their, uh, I saw their reaction when they were going to wait on me and you know, we love this place, but we're not going to love it any longer. If I have to work with, we're going to have to work with this person and I'd rather, I'd prefer that you can get somebody else and then come back from the bathroom and not have to tell my wife that until a couple weeks later so that we actually had an enjoyable experience that night um, and everything be okay or not have to say anything at all. And then maybe just bring it up later because it's, you know, you want to be able to just sometimes you just want to be able to relax when there's enough stuff going on out in the world and you're going out to just have a good time. And you always have to think about those kinds of things and much worse. Or, you know, or my daughter, you know, we were going to a concert and my daughter getting pulled over in a county that I remember didn't have uh, had racial epithets and about going home, you know, telling them to go home um, or not come here. 
and her being pulled over by the cops and my wife freaking out and we having to leave the concert, you know, and she was fine, but still, you know, those types of things are understandable. And those are types of things that I don't, you know, I want to be um, careful about because when these kids, you know, saw a given a sideball was they were fans of the podcast, knew my work and they were, they were extremely nice and it was great, but it's that kind of thing that you do have weird people out there and twisted people out there. And so I, I've tried to be careful at times, but there's points that I feel like that I can't look in the mirror and be a good family member or, or, or the person that I want to be and not say anything. And there's a balance sometimes with my business that do I want to be virtual signaling like every week and being like, pounded into people's heads, you know, that racism is wrong and that you're an idiot if you voted for this person or that you don't understand this or you don't understand these dynamics. And the more that, you know, after the Trump election, the more I kind of closed down a bit because I wanted to think about what's going on on social media. And I realized that the more you speak about it, the more people tune you out sometimes depending on what you say and how you say it. And what I didn't want to do was shame people um, because a lot of it's just ignorance. And while ignorance can be extremely damaging, even more damaging than hate, that ignorance is something that I'm not, you know, if all I'm doing is shaming people to make myself look good, and that's what people think I'm doing, then when I do speak of something that's of vital importance to me, it's not going to carry that weight. So I've waited a long time for that very reason um, that when this came up, unfortunately, yeah, it was it was time to do that. And um, it was basically something I had already written on Twitter for the most part and on some long threads. Um, but when I started reading it, I had to read it. I had to stop reading that. I'd stop the podcast about 10 times before I could get through it because I was really emotional about it and, and, and either I was either crying or I was saying words that I probably shouldn't say, um, on my podcast to the degree that like, I don't mind cursing here and there a little bit, but there was a point that I wasn't going to make that message get across any better if I was doing what I was doing. Um, so, um, that's all I, I guess that's, I guess that's, you know, uh, thank you for, um, thank you for seeing that I care, I guess. Um, but I, I wish that, uh, I wish that more people did. And while we're giving out thank yous, um, I want to thank Chris and Carrie because around this time before we kind of took a hiatus from the podcast, right after George Floyd, um, we got together and did a little zoom call and we did it with a couple of, uh, you know, white guys that we know in this space, the football space or just Twitter space, and just tried to have, uh, you know, some open dialogue about all of these issues, not, not just specifically about George Floyd, but just like all of these issues. And, um, we decided not to publicize it, um, because we wanted people to, to feel comfortable enough to really speak openly. And we actually did have one of those guys who, who was concerned about that and, and would, and would have bowed out if we did it publicly. And even though I think Carrie, Chris and I felt like there was there was 
a level of importance to publicizing it, we also realized that we were probably going to lose some of that openness if we did it. Um, so we didn't. And, you know, we, we, we had a, a good conversation, I think, and it was something that we kind of wanted to do um, more regularly. But I'll admit, um, and I thank these guys for doing that. That's why I started out with the thank you just for being willing to do that. Because they had nothing to do with football. And we're not, you know, we've met each other through Twitter and we've, I think, developed some friendships. We're not like lifelong friends or anything. And I mean, right. that's a heavy, heavy thing yeah. uh, to, to engage in. Um, and I remember Carrie telling us about this uh, Martin Luther King documentary on HBO. It was out around that time, called King in the Wilderness, and sort of just following him, not so much the work that he was doing down south, but when he came up north to Chicago and how he said, this is this is the I understand the racist in Mississippi and Alabama. I've seen that. I can deal with that. But he's like, this, what's happening up here in Chicago in the north? This is way worse than anything I saw down there. Uh, and then he also, during that documentary, they show how he kind of comes to grips with his death. You know, he knows it's imminent at this point. Yeah. He just knows. He just knows. You know, and I'm watching that and I'm watching all the people. And it's told through the perspectives of people who worked with him during that time. So obviously John Lewis was still alive. You know, they had him there and some of the other people. And so we had this Zoom call. I ended up having another call with my brother, who's a retired police officer and a couple of police officers so it was all police officers. I was the only non-police officer on the call. So we had a call, and then I had another call with uh, some folks kind of from, from my church um, who just, you know, mixed group. So make mixed ethnicities. So did all three of those things, right, in about a week, week and a half time span. And I was just blown out, you know, at that point. I just didn't, I just didn't have it in me anymore. You know, just like mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted. And I'm also kind of really beating up on myself. And my wife was like, well, what are you doing? Why are you pushing? I mean, just, just take it easy. And I was like, well, look, look, look at what these people were doing during that time. And, you know, the links that they were going through to organize and to make things better and literally putting their lives on the line. And my wife, you know, look, obviously, I love her. And I'm, this is one of the reasons why she was like, are you really comparing yourself to Martin Luther King right now? <laughs> is that really the Because you had a couple of phone calls and now you're emotionally worn out. You're like, oh, well, Martin Luther King didn't get worn out. She was like, come on, man. Come on. Let's just be real with all this. Right. You're doing your best. You're doing what you think can help. You're doing what, you know, you, you probably if you've been gifted to do anything, it's, it's probably to try to bring people together from different ethnicities a little bit. Um, and you're trying to do that. So just, you know, don't, don't, don't put that standard out there. Cause that's not attainable for you. Um, you know, this guy's, he's an icon. So don't just come on, don't, don't even go there. Um, but I think it's okay. The, the, the reason I tell that whole story is I, I think it's okay to, um, maybe have, you know, a little bit of that, man, I wish we didn't have to talk about that because, um, that opens the door at least, I think. When people feel like that and it's like, man, I wish we didn't have. But then by saying we wish we didn't, it's because we did. Um, and that that's that's opening the door a little bit to having those conversations. And I, for me, that's where this whole thing has always been yeah. about is we got to acknowledge it. We got to talk about it. Um, I used to tell these guys about this documentary on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. And I mean, that thing was super powerful uh, it's years ago. It might be 20 years old at this point. But for the people who were involved on both sides of that thing, right, the African families who lost loved ones, the cops or whoever was involved, security forces, to come together and say, all right, there's not going to be any criminal charges out of this. We're not going to do that, but we're going to get the absolute truth. You're going to come here and you're going to tell exactly what you did. 
if you killed somebody, if you beat somebody, if you raped somebody, you're going to give that. And those families are going to be right there and you're going to tell them. And I said, that is like the most powerful thing in the world because they realize punishment wasn't going to get them answers. Reconciliation was the only thing that was going to get them answers. I don't think we're here yet. I don't think we're there yet <laughs> in this country. We, st- we still want it. We, st- we, we're still in some different, different parts of that process, but I think we can work towards that where, look, you, you want justice. Yeah. Absolutely. You want justice. But if you really want to get to a point where people are ready to acknowledge where things are and why things are and how things, how people, how things, you know, uh, you still benefit right from some of the things that have happened. Yeah. Um, being, being able to, being able to talk about it is the most important thing, you know, to a, one of the most important things um, to being able to get people to understand because they have been brainwashed. It's a, it's a, you know, you bring up that Martin Luther King went North and what he saw. And, you know, I was a Northerner in Cleveland, Ohio growing up and came down to Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, you know, my family is Jewish so we were in kind of more of a Jewish Russian type of neighborhood in Cleveland. It's a very segregated part of um, Cleveland's a very segregated city. Um, one of the most segregated cities in the United States. Um, and I realized by the time I was in high school that all the things that I had to unlearn um, about race and about people's attitudes about race and things that were even ingrained in me that I unfortunately had to unlearn um, that I thought either was harmless and didn't mean, you know, or I was ignorant of came from what I learned in the North, not what I learned in the South, because I was around black people all the time in the South, wasn't around any black people in the North. And there was a reason for that, Um, you know, and being in and, you know, I had teachers and mentors and friends who, you know, in the South where I got to see different perspectives and so yeah i mean that opportunity to have real conversation and white people oftentimes are so afraid to have real conversation because they're taught um they're they're shamed in a way out of it where the intention is to teach them that racism is wrong or certain things are wrong but what they're teaching them is certain behaviors are wrong but the overall issue of like some of the things that they do that are racist are okay. But the, you know, and so they, they learn a very mixed message and very ambivalent type of thing. And it's hard sometimes to get them talking because they're afraid that if they say they've behaved or thought in a racist fashion, that they're therefore on the same equivalency of someone who's wearing a white sheet and burning a cross on somebody's front lawn. And, and, Getting people over that is a is a is an important hump, and you know, I guess I just more than anything is just I just having the conversations great. The fact that someone has to thank me for for saying something like this is just bothers me. That's all that I that I have, you know, because it's just I I've learned and I learn and have so much respect for so many people. And so many people who have had different perspectives than I have and what I've learned and gained from it is humbling. So, and I just hope that other people who are listening to this, who are white, um, you know, understand that there's a lot that you can learn and gain 
um, from having quality conversations and learning about other people's lives that will really um, help you. And it can only help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, Chris and Carrie, if you guys uh, have anything else, let me know, because I want to I, I think I got one last thing and I think we probably could end on this and it won't it won't be as heavy. That was heavy, but it was important and it needs to be heavy. And, you know, that's not stuff that we're going to shy away from. We have it and we won't. So that is what it is. Uh, but let me throw that out there to you guys. Do you guys have anything else? Because I think, Chris, your question about uh, this, this is a fun one to end on. The current defenders of the universe, current defenders yes. of planet Earth. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think we want to hear about that. Unless, Carrie, do your, you guys have anything else you want to ask? No, I don't. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's, yeah, so people who, 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 if you don't know, um, I don't know how long you've been doing this for, Matt, but I know it's, it's been a while where this, this series of the, the defenders of the planet. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's been it was I did it one year, but I keep bringing it up because it seems like people keep thinking of the idea. And I go, yeah, I done I did that back here a few years ago. But it's the <laughs> idea of you have aliens like Independence Day. If aliens came down to like, you know, take over the planet. But instead of them being like like what you would think most aliens would be, they say, you know what? We actually play football on our planet and we and and football isn't, you know, exclusive to Earthlings. So. What we done, what we're doing is we're going to make it fun because we could just take over the planet within a blink of the eye and you guys would be working in the mines. But <laughs> we decided that we decided that we're going to make it at least somewhat of a contest because we can go somewhere else and we're not that hard up right now. So here's the deal. We're going to we're going to field a football team and we're, we have the technology to resurrect or or reinvigorate basically any human being to their peak athletic performance. Um, and so we can do that. You just pick who you want on your football team and we'll play a game to defend the planet. If you win, we'll leave. If you lose, well, you're working in the mines. So who you pick. <laughs> and I love this idea. It was, it was, it's really like, it's really a great idea when you, when you sit back and think about it. It makes you think, you know, it makes you think about it's not just the greatest stats guy, you know, like for me, the perfect example is like Brett Favre. Like most people wouldn't say Brett Favre is the greatest quarterback ever. You'd pick, you know, a Brady or a Montana or Marino or or you could even imagine Peyton Manning maybe listed there. But like as I've written, it's kind of like to me playing quarterback in a one game to win it all, and you know you're going to be overmatched. You know that the defense is going to have answers. They're probably going to have better, as good or better athletes than you do. Who do you want? You know, because it's going to be like a barroom brawl on biker night. Like that's <laughs> kind of what I said. Is like, do you really want Peyton Manning or Tom Brady back there where they're getting their butt kicked and like they don't have an answer because they can't win from the pocket? Or do you want a guy like Brett Favre who's going to probably laugh after he gets stabbed in the leg with the knife <laughs> and and then like bites off the handle and stabs it right into the guy's chest and talks <laughs> trash? And like you want someone who's a little crazy. So to me, like. It's like those types of decisions or like why I had Marshawn Lynch as my running back to defend the plant when I could have picked like so many great running backs ahead of that, 
you know, and I pick guys because I cheated because that's what also you want to do in this type of game is like, I'm going to put Walter Payton as a punt returner. I'm going to have this guy as my, you know, as my fullback or, you know, those types of things. But you, you start picking guys that you think about who are they in big game situations? You know, who, you know, who else made Ray Lewis look silly on a move in, in the flat? I don't remember another back who ever did that other than Marshawn Lynch. You know, he's the guys, he and Adrian Peterson are the last guys who built like 57 Chevys in a demolition derby with a bunch of Miatas, you know? Yep. So like, I'm, you know, it's stuff like that, that you, why, why I wrote that up and thought it would be fun. Yeah. You, you, you had a lot of great names on that. Uh, obviously a couple guys near and dear to our heart, like uh, Steve Smith, uh, <laughs> you know, a guy who wasn't in Baltimore long, uh, but, you know, we all followed his career even before that. And, you know, they, they talk about, I mean, other teams probably have similar, you know, they play like a Raven, play like, this, you know, whatever your team is. But he just was one of those guys that just like it was immediate. As soon as he got here, he was like, this, this guy should have been a Raven his whole career because his mindset uh, was all about, um, you know, just just embarrassing people and and, and yeah. ripping out your your soul <laughs> he's he's the straight unfiltered truth that's kind of what he is his game's the straight unfiltered truth and the way he talks is straight unfiltered truth and yeah like my friend gene bramble and i like gene bramble is one of my best friends and like he and we've we've talked like if steve when steve smith makes a hall of fame that's the one we're gonna go to like we want to go see <laughs> steve smith get inducted into the hall of fame but it's like yeah, he's that guy. I mean, to the point that, like, I love him on NFL Network because for good or for bad, I, you know where he stands. And it's like, sure it's like true Cooper Cup. Like, I remember laughing because I was a big Cooper Cup fan coming out and watching him, like, watching him play, you know, in workouts and how well he did off press coverage, even though the stats don't seem to show that right now. It was really impressive. And I remember sitting, I remember just watching something from the combine. I rarely watch a combine, but I turned it on. And or I was in a, a restaurant. I think I was in a restaurant having lunch, and I and it was being broadcast on one of the TVs over the bar. And I and they they were showing Cooper Cup, so I was looking at it, and I heard Steve Smith go, "That's my best receiver in this class right here, that guy right there." And I remember thinking to myself, "I don't need to do anything else now because like Steve Smith just said that Cooper Cup's his favorite receiver in this class. I'm validated. I'm not. I don't even. Have to, I don't even have to think about it." Yeah. No, I love he, he's one of he's one of those dudes that the aliens will come back to the sideline. They'll be like, "Look, be careful with that dude. He's crazy." Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I love it, man. I will never forget uh, when he said that he had a PhD in route running and Michael Irvin had an associate's degree. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "I don't care about your gold jacket. I don't care about your Super Bowls, but." What I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, and you know it's true. <laughs> you know, yeah, because players know who can play and who who really can play, and it's yeah. like that's that's one of those guys, you know. He's the litmus test, you, you know. He can, and he's a litmus test in the locker room. Anybody's going to wrestle Terrell Suggs? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and think that he's got a chance? Like he's Stitch. He's like Stitch and Lilo and Stitch. Like he's like this big and he's like stronger than anything. That's what, I mean. Yeah, throw buys on guys from angles that are silly. He's unbelievable. He is. He is. Well, all right. I think we're gonna wrap it. I think we're gonna wrap it. I think we've gotten uh, more than we certainly probably could have hoped for, and we were hoping for a lot. But man, we just want to thank you again 
for being on with us, for taking as much time as you did, for sharing as many different things that you shared. And, um, you know, it's just really been awesome. And we, we really can't can't thank you enough. So thank you. <laughs> you guys. And man, it was a great podcast. I enjoyed listening to y'all's takes. And and it was I, I'm just I just felt like I was nodding along with half of, you know, most actually all of them thinking, I don't need to say anything, even though I talk too much as it was. This is why this is why Chris and Kerry took all of my money in DFS last year, because you guys are good, you know, you're great fantasy minds and you all see it alike. Uh, so that's, that's why my kids, you know, don't don't have lunch money. Uh, but we're going to go back at it again this season. I'm going to try to redeem myself, but uh, I'll sign it off right here for myself, for Kerry, for Chris. Hey, we're going to get back at you soon. I know we took that hiatus, but the deep cover pod uh, is back. Hopefully, unless I take another soul searching journey, we should be back uh, and we'll try to get into a Raven season preview. Go, you know, take a look at the roster, take a look at positions, take a look at some of the battles uh, and, and, and get that out to you guys soon. So, um, you know, hang in there with us and we're going to get back up to speed real here, uh, real soon here. And the, and the season, it's, it's on us, man. I mean, it's a couple weeks away and this thing's going to be rolling. So uh, we're, we're going to try to be here for you guys with, with more stuff like this. And uh, thanks for listening, as always. All right. Peace. We are... Out. Maybe. <laughs>